it for you. Lance Bush is burning, it's burning for you. Welcome to another edition of Lens Burning Bush. I am Len Harvey. Before I bring on my guest for the week, I want to talk about what's really burning my bush. So a few weeks ago, I did an episode with Sarah Halstead. We talked about the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. That was episode 111 just two weeks ago. And I wanted to know why we care about this. And so since then, I, wa- I thought it was important to find out since we thought that finally it might be over. I'm still shocked that people care about this, and they actually had to break in to programming uh, for this as well. Now, keep in mind, you know, breaking into the programming uh, on television for this trial was kind of kind of silly, but they had to let you know that finally they had reached a verdict. After closing arguments from both sides were made last Friday, the jury answered deliber- deliber- deliberations, I can't even say that, uh, and then resumed after Memorial Day holiday then on wednesday afternoon after more than 12 hours of deliberations behind closed doors the verdict was unanimously reached and read aloud in the fairfax county virginia courtroom now depp who is 58 was not even present in the courtroom he was in the uk performing rock concerts with jeff beck since saturday sunday night now her did show up uh in person for the verdict but depp was awarded 15 million dollars in damages which in virginia translates to around $10.35 million as the maximum that Amber Heard uh, was going to have to pay. Now, you would think that now this is finally over, right? We could finally go on with our lives, but no, of course not. Think again. Another twist and turn. Amber Heard is claiming now that she is broke. She got nothing, no money. Uh, due to her mounting legal fees, lavish spending. That's according to sources. Now, I could have told you all of this beforehand, uh, before it was going to be even on TV that this was going to happen, that she wasn't going to have any money or he wasn't going to have any money. No one was getting paid except for the lawyers in this case, right? So her attorney says that the actress can absolutely not pay, absolutely not pay the $10.35 million to Depp after the verdict. Now, the high fraud profile court case battle has left the 36-year-old actress hurting for cash. Oh, we should start a GoFundMe page now. Really, uh, she is hurting for cash, and we're very sorry about that. Uh, Johnny Depp is hurting for cash. Again, why do we even care about this? Multiple sources say that the Aquaman star had to switch legal representation, is now relying on homeowners insurance policy to cover the cost of attorney's in the case. So watch out for your homeowner's insurance. It will now go up because of all of this craziness that is involved in this case. Now, in regards to Hurd's countersuit brought against Johnny Depp, uh, he's going to pay $2 million in damages. Johnny Depp did win all three defamation cases, uh, claims in the case brought against his ex-wife and uh, over the 2018 op-ed piece uh, coming forward with domestic abuse allegations. All very crazy. Why it had to be public, I have no idea. It's like a soap opera, but as the stomach turns instead of as the world turns. With that being said, it's time to bring on my guest for the week. She is making her second appearance on Lens Burning Bush. She last appeared episode 40, The Social Media Dilemma. She is a science fiction author whose latest book is scheduled to be released in December called Lumara. 
And let's welcome the very lovely and talented Melissa Landers to Lens Burning Bush. And I'll give you a little bit of applause uh, as well. And I'll put you in the uh, big screen. So you got some applause now. Look at this. We're, we're high, fancy stuff now. Uh, nice. Thank you. <laughs> so did you watch any of this nonsense? I hope not. Please don't be. Uh, I tried so hard yes. to insulate myself from it. It was everywhere. You know this. I know. Um, when it would come through my feed on TikTok, I would swipe up lightning fast to make sure the algorithm knew, I don't want to see this. And yet, every day in my feed, the algorithm just believed I wanted to fill my whole life with this trial. And um, I picked up a few tidbits here and there, but I did really, really do my best to just stay away from it. Because like you, I, I don't know. I just... Um, I don't think I have any sympathy for either of them. No, I don't. And and it's sad been, because yeah, if he did what she says he did, awful. He's an awful person, right? He should be. He should go to jail. Never mind and paying the vice money. Vice versa, right? Yeah, I mean, it, I I don't know. I've been in abusive relationships before in the past, so you would think that I would have an interest in this, but. Um, I don't. It just feels sensationalized. They're both professional actors. Uh, you know, hearing people say who was more believable. They're both professional actors. Yeah. You, they they lie not, all the time. They use other Yeah, it's like how what they do for a living. I lie for a living, but I'm not an actor. No. Um, I, don't, I, don't. I, I don't know. The whole thing just, um, the whole thing was icky, and I took no pleasure from seeing any of it. And like, when the verdict was read, my best friend texted, aren't you happy for, no, no, I don't give a shit. I don't no. either. I don't <laughs> Everybody's celebrating. I know why. I don't get it. I um... free Johnny Depp. I mean, come on already. It is. It is just too much. And you know, I don't get it. I was hoping it would all be over, and it's still in the news feed every day. And I'm bringing yeah. it up because it is burning my bush. And I'm sorry to bring it up. I almost don't want to bring it up because I don't want to give you know credence to it, and I, I really don't. But. I mean, it's just there. It's like you wake up and it's there. And, you know, and, and you know, my wife is a big Johnny Depp fan. So she, she was watching it one day. I'm like, why are you watching this? No one, you know, why do you care? And, you know, I guess, you know, and Sarah Halstead and I talked about this on the episode. You know, she seems to think that because of all the craziness that's going on, it gives you that outlet. But mm, like I, an escape? Th- yeah, an escape. I think they should start reading your books would be a better escape <laughs> than doing this. I mean, it's, it's nonsense. It's, it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy. So we'll get off the Johnny Depp thing. Cause I'm, I'm just, you know, it's time for it, like a little agita, you know, I'm getting a little, little, uh, uh, might need a little more pill or something like that. But anyway, so you, uh, appeared last, uh, it's been over a year. I can't, I can't believe that it was January of 2021 when you came wow. on. So, and it's no intention that you had to wait this long to come back on. I'm just, you know, I'm just filling out the days, basically. I don't, uh, I don't have like, oh, well, I have to have Melissa on this day or, you know, whatever. But we, we're happy to have you back. And you are, you have, and just the perfect timing, you have a book coming yeah. out this December. Now, I want to read a little bit. So, because um, I, I don't really read. I got to be honest with you. I, I'm not much of a reader, but I, I will. Um, your books are, are science fiction and they're kind of uh, most different. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Most of this them. This one's a slight departure. This one's a little more fantasy. Okay. So this one, maybe I could read now. I, I did look at a little bit of the, um, I read or, you know, looked at your website and I, I got some information, a boarding goal, a boarding school student, Talia Morris 
has no idea her boyfriend Nathaniel is a mystic, let alone second in line to the throne of a secretive, aspirational, magical community. I like that. So right away you got my interest with it. The book is called Lumara. It's going to be on hardcover December the 6th on Amazon. Am I correct in that? Anywhere. Amazon, oh. Barnes & Noble. Uh, okay. I, I've even seen it at, at Target.com. Just anywhere. Anywhere. This is amazing, though. Now, you've, you've written how many books now? This oh, is- gosh. I think this might be 13. This might be number 13. Oh. I don't know. I just counted the other day. Well, I think it's 13. This is episode 113, so maybe that is oh, some, some correlation to, to this that you've, you've got, uh, you know, the, these amount of books. And I'm amazed that I could, you know, I don't think I've finished, uh, read 13 <laughs> books in my life. Never mind. I mean, probably I have, but uh, 13 is, is, is a lot. And, and, and you do it. And, and in the pandemic, did you have more things to write about during the pandemic or was you it know, harder? No, the pandemic was weird. It's funny. I was just talking about uh, someone with this today. Um, You would think that during a pandemic, a writer trapped at home would be in her element. And and I was. I was right here, ready. You know, I had all this time. But weirdly enough, the pandemic threw publishing into a spiral. Because what happened was, at least for me at Disney, I still had one more book in my contract. That book was Lamara. But there were so many editors that were out on furlough and laid off, that there wasn't enough people to put together an acquisitions committee. And that's how you get projects approved. So I was working with my editor. We were kind of thinking about doing something that was like uh, Crazy Rich Asians, but with magic. And uh, we wanted to move forward. We literally could not. We couldn't get it approved until the pandemic died down enough for these editors to come back into the office where they could convene an acquisitions meeting and get it approved. It was nuts. I I never would have seen that coming. So during the pandemic, I was weirdly not as productive as I could have been. Now, one of the things that, you know, we, uh, Scott Stanford and I last week talked about the fact that because television and radio and everything, because of this new medium that we can, you know, do this a lot easier. So you, you're saying it was harder for you, which is, which is, you know, like, it's it's such as a different world. For some people, mm-hmm. it was you know, um, it was different. You know, for the radio and TV world, they were able to do their job from home without any problems. They were able to be on TV, kind of like what we're doing now. We're just we're on mm-hmm. uh, we're on Facebook Live, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, and and we can do this from our living rooms basically. Or I'm in my basement, I guess. <laughs> but it's yeah. it's it's amazing, and and you know, with that. Did you find the, you know, once you got the approval and once you got going with the book, did you find it was easy to come together or did you still? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Well, I guess the only good thing is I had plenty of time to think about it, you know, while we were waiting. I mean, technically, I I totally could have done this during the pandemic. It would have been perfect. But uh, it was red tape holding us up, you know, Uh, just approval, basically. But yeah, once we got the green stamp... um, or the green light, rather, I was able to just kind of plow through it, um, had a blast writing it. Uh, I don't know, have you, I know you're not much of a reader, so you didn't read the book. Have you seen the movie Crazy Rich Asians? Yes. Okay, it's, it, it's kind of that, got that fish out of water element, um, and the super wealthy, super exclusive family, it has that element, um, but with magic and murder and generational curses. Well, I will tell you what, this book, I promise you, I will actually purchase it, but I want you to, I'm not going to, I don't want it for free. 
I don't, I, I will pay for it, but I want you to sign it for me. Totally. Uh, so we'll do that, but I'm going to read it and I'm going to, you know, I will give you my, my opinion. I feel it's, you know, at least I could do to do, uh, you know, the little stuff, right? Actually read a book. Uh, although <laughs> let me, let me just make sure how many, how many pages is this? <laughs> oh gosh. Like 300 oh. and I don't know, 320 maybe. All right. It's not a thousand. Thank yeah. God. All right. No. I'm not, oh not going to be no. like, I'm not going to be like sitting there going that uh, it's going to take me uh, 14 years to finish this one, but <laughs> no, no it's, it seems very, I, I'm interested already. Like I said, I like a lot of the stuff. If you go to uh, your uh, Facebook page or if you go, you, you'll see the Lamara hardcover, uh, the debut on December 6th, but it also has kind of a little synopsis of it, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's captivating and uh, I'm glad, you know, I, I wish you nothing but the best with it because it's, uh, it's so hard these days. You don't know what people are going to gravitate towards, right? Right. Right. Well, it's yeah, not, it's constantly yeah. changing. Well, you know what could have happened? You could have uh, you could have wrote the Harry Potter books, and you could have been <laughs> mega millionaire. Because listen to this: a rare copy of the first Harry Potter book. It's going up for private sale at Christie's in London. Uh, the initial offering is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, mm-hmm. two hundred thousand pounds. The first edition copy of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is one of. 500 hardback copies from the initial print from 1997. And of the initial print, 300 copies were sent to libraries. According to Reuters, the book was going up for private sale, was among the other 200 copies. So do you have any books like that that we could we could put on Christie's? You know, <laughs> it's funny you say that. Um, I have kept one first-run, first-printing edition of every book I've ever written. And it's significant. And I didn't even realize I was at a signing one day many, many years ago, uh, signing my uh, YA debut, Alienated. And a woman came to my table and she picked up a book and she opened it to the the copyright page. And she said, oh, this is a second print run. I wanted a first print run. It's more valuable. And I said, what are you talking about? And she explained to me because I was a brand new baby author back then. She explained to me that the most valuable collector's editions are first edition, first print run. Once the first print run sends out, the publisher prints a whole new set and ships them out to bookstores. That's your second printing. And then maybe you have a third printing. It depends on how popular the book is. No one at Disney had even told me my book had gone into a second printing. It's kind of a big deal. And so I was glad that I saved uh, one of my early copies because I do. I can say now I have a first edition, first print run copy of all of my books. So just in case I blow up, I have one <laughs> copy that I can, you know, auction off uh, if I need, you know, extra retirement. <laughs> well, that that's that's terrific. And, and you know, I'm glad you do. It is, uh, you know, seeing what these books could go for, you you know, maybe you're in for something. Maybe this book will take off to no end. And I'm going to I'm going to help. I'm going to, you know, being on the show, we'll, we'll try to get you more. You know, I, I'm happy that you're able to to come on. So you mentioned you can get it all different places. Is there a, mm-hmm. a, a website that they could go to that they could see your other books, though? Well, my web mistress is currently working on my website. It's melissa-landers.com. Um, I don't know if it's under construction right now, but if you go there, you might get a cached version or some such, but all of them are on there. Also, if you go to Amazon and just search my name, they have like every author on Amazon has an author page where they'll list all of your books and all of their formats, audio, ebook, um, hardcover, softcover. 
Now, you, you know, it says on your bio that, you know, you, you were a former teacher um, and you left the classroom to pursue kind of other worlds, right? Uh, being a sci-fi geek. You, know, you talked a little bit about it the last time you were on, but, you know, explain a little bit about that. I mean, obviously, uh, to go from a teacher to doing this, it's a lot more fun to do what you're doing now, I would think. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I liked teaching. I really thought it was my calling. And when I left after having my second child, I planned to stay home for a few years and then go back to the classroom. I just wanted to be home when my, my baby was tiny. And um, I ended up having another baby. And um, while those, the third one was little, um, I found that I got just like really restless. I didn't have any creative outlets. I didn't play an instrument. I didn't scrapbook. Um, oh, what do people do for creativity? Sing, uh paint, draw, whatever. I didn't have any creative outlet. So I started reading and I, I read just like five, six, seven, eight books a week. I plowed through them and it wasn't enough because that's not an outlet. So then one year, uh, a group of kind of internet friends that I had met on a forum said, hey, let's try to do NaNoWriMo, which stands for National Novel Writing Month. And it's a challenge every November where you write 50,000 words in 30 days and uh, so I decided to give it a shot, and that really, really, really sloppy train wreck of a first draft that I wrote in 30 days was the first draft of Alienated, which was my first book with Disney. And so it kind of fell into my lap out of restlessness and, uh, and a need for some kind of intellectual stimulation, and I, I tripped into this surprise second career and uh, Alienated sold in a two-book deal. And then I wrote something completely different, an adult contemporary romance under a pen name, Macy Beckett, by the way. And then that sold in a three-book deal. And then each book deal kind of led into another multi-book deal. And the next thing I knew, you know, I was up to my eyeballs and deadlines. And, and that was my new career. How hard was it to get your first one, though? You know, you explained to Disney, you explained to writing the 50,000 words. And, but how mm -hmm. hard was it to get it? looked at and published? Getting published is one of the hardest things you can do. And there's a saying that the only thing harder than getting published is staying published. And I can tell you that is straight facts. I, I have a lot of colleagues who unfortunately, after that first book deal, never did get another one. Uh, it's, it's kind of a ruthless business. And if your sales are poor, oftentimes you don't get second chances. So yeah, the, first you have to get an agent. Because you can't just, it's not like the movies where you type up your manuscript and you print it out and stuff it in a folder and mail it to HarperCollins. And then it goes into a mail room and some plucky little intern reads it and takes it to the editor's desk and says, you have to read this. I've just found the next great American novel. It doesn't work like that. They're not even going to look at your book unless you have an agent. The agents are, the literary agents are like the uh, gatekeepers of the industry. And getting an agent is hard. Took me about, uh, I don't know, a month and a half-ish, maybe. You have to basically research agents, research the kind of projects they represent. Then uh, you email them with what's called a query. And this basically says, hi, this is who I am. This is what I wrote. Let me know if it sounds interesting, and I'll send you the first three chapters. And then 99.9% .9 of the time, they ghost you. They don't reply at all. Sometimes they'll reply and say, sounds interesting, send me the first 50 pages. And then maybe they ghost you after that. And then if they like it, they say, hey, send me the full. And then maybe they ghost you after that. <laughs> and if you make it past all these steps and they really love it, they have to love it, 
then they will offer to represent you. So I actually got my agent uh, with my my romance. Remember how I said I wrote Alienated and then I did something totally different? After like my third rewrite of Alienated, I needed to step away from it. And I got the idea for the romance. And I just like pounded that thing out in maybe five weeks. It just like flew out of me. And it was uh, it was pretty good right out of the gate because I had made all of my mistakes with the first book. So I sent it to um, to my agent. She read it in like 24 hours and and emailed back and said, this is amazing. I love this. And then she called and I had also sent her Alienated, but she hadn't read it yet. She was like, I want to offer to rep you just on this. I'll read Alienated later. We'll figure that out later. Wow. Let's get this sold first. So even though the romance was the second book I wrote, it was the first to sell. And then oh. Alienated sold about four months later. That's fantastic. Now, the one thing that bothered me through the whole process, and I, I wanted to, I'm going to do an episode on this because it, it really drives me crazy that in this world that we live in now that has so much communication ability, such an easy way to do it. We have texting, we've got email, we've got all different kinds, but yet people just ghost you. And it drives me nuts because you put a lot of effort into it, especially after they asked you to send the 50 pages, right? If they don't mm-hmm. ask you, maybe they don't answer you. Um, but if you go ahead, it's kind of like a job interview for me. Like if you go and do a job interview, don't you feel like they have the decency to at least say, sorry, you didn't work out or we, we passed, we went for someone else. But you have to find out, like, someone else will get the job, and you're like, oh, I guess I, guess I yeah. didn't get the job. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like that way, and it, it's, I, I, you know, I have to tell my kids that this is the unfortunate thing that we live in, that you, you are not going to get a response, even mm-hmm. after you sit with them for an hour, you go through it. Then some people actually will have, I've had situations in previous where you get to, like, the second or third interview, and then you never find out. Like yeah, you, that's cold. It's it's in that yeah. that ghosting stuff just made me thinking what could be burning my bush future. But that that is a definite uh, pet peeve of mine. That yeah, people can't, it's, you know, it's you, kind of a pet peeve of writers too. Yeah. I, I know that agents get literally thousands of queries every year. I get this, um, but there was this one agent that I queried, and I don't remember her name, but she sent me back a single line, and it said, "Not for me. Thanks for the look." And I appreciated yeah. that. You know, she probably had it copied and pasted and just was going down the line or maybe had her assistant go down the line. But a response was Something. really, really nice. Now, I, I like to give responses, you know, whether it's good or bad. I think people need to hear it. So mm-hmm. I, was buying, I was buying a car in late January. And I decided after going to a couple of dealerships, I decided on one car that I, I really liked. And what I did is, and I kind of, it was a, per, a person that I had bought several cars from. I had to tell them that I went with something else. And so I called the dealers that I went to and said, look, I just want to let you know this is what I bought. And I apologize, but, you know, I decided to go this route. They appreciated that. They were mm-hmm. like, wow, that, that was really nice of you to, to call me and let me know that. I just think it's a decent thing as a human being. I mean, if, if you spend hours with someone, because I had that same thing in sales. I, I get it all the time. You know, you, you, you spend hours with people and then, you know, then they give their business to someone else and you're like, well, what did I do wrong? I don't know. I don't know how to fix it if you don't tell me, right? So, <laughs> yeah. But I feel like I, I did that and they were so appreciative and I feel like, 
you shouldn't have to be appreciative of something that should have happened in the first place, right? Yeah. Just, just yeah. all you got to do is pick up a phone and, and now you could do it in the car. You don't even need to go home and do it. You could just pick up the phone in the car and you could call them. And, you know, considering you were calling them and texting them, you know, feverishly to, oh, is that car available? Is this? Because you do that when you're going, when you're shopping for things these days, right? Well, I'll tell you, I think I know a, another sneaky reason why some agents don't respond. Because when you get an offer of representation, you can go back to all the other agents that you've sent queries to or have requested material, and you can send them a follow-up email with offer of representation in the subject line and tell them, hey, I've received an offer. I'm going to give my my, uh, answer in a week. So, you know, if you'd like to throw your hat in the ring, as it were, now's your chance. And then they will use that opportunity to say, oh, okay, this one must not suck. And then they'll pull it up and they'll read it and they will let people send these offer of representation emails as a way to kind of separate the wheat from the, what is it, wheat from the chaff or some such. You know, But still, I feel like it's, yeah, I feel like it's kind of rude. I I appreciate whoever it was, not for me, thanks for the look. Quick to the point, you know, puts you out of your misery and you can move on. Yeah, and I think that would be great because then you don't have to worry about contacting them and... You know, I always tell, you know, my kids when they go on any kind of interview or whatever, make sure you say a thank you or make sure you mm-hmm. call them to find out what happened with the job a week later or what's going on with the job. And if they tell you that they hired, it's almost like you, you couldn't have let them know before you called them. I mean, it just it seems like that could be done. But yeah, I, I, I have no idea. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, my wife, Susan, went to see Top Gun last week. Did you get a yeah. chance to see it yet? The new I did. And what were your thoughts? I, I loved it. You know, it's funny. Um, we rewatched the first movie with my stepson because he hadn't seen it yet. And I hadn't watched it since I was a teenager. And as a teen, oh, it was so cool. And, you know, Tom Cruise, Maverick, he was so awesome. And Iceman was such a bastard. And rewatching it, I'm like, oh, my God. Tom Cruise was a dick yeah. in that first movie. <laughs> And then Iceman, like, I agreed with him. Does that mean I'm getting old? When, you know, Iceman's like, you're reckless. You're putting people in danger. I thought, yeah, he's totally right. He was totally right throughout the whole movie. And yet he was like the villain. When Tom Cruise followed, uh, what's her name, into the bathroom at the bar. Yeah. She shoots him down. And he's so cocky, he follows her into the bathroom. Like, he should have been tased right there. But so anyway. It was a different world it. back then. But anyway. Oh, it was so cringy. But, um, but yeah, the follow-up was, it was amazing. I loved it. The only thing, I guess, because if you ask me, I'm going to give you edits. Uh, I would have liked it better without the romance. Uh, not just because it made you wonder what happened to the romantic interest in, Kel- in the movie. Kelly, the first movie. Uh, Kelly McGillis. McGillis, yeah. Well, you know, not just because we're all wondering what happened with her. Um, but just because it didn't feel like it lent anything, it kind of felt like it slowed the movie down. It was unnecessary, but I loved the camaraderie with the new group, uh, loved the, the tension with Goose's son, the, the scenes, the flight scenes were just next level. Um, oh yeah, it was amazing. Apparently you're not the only one, $248 million worldwide. It's, uh, Tom Cruise, it's his first hundred million dollar weekend. Uh, on this, uh, so the first hundred million dollar weekend ever for him, and uh, two hundred forty eight million dollars. Uh, it marks the first time he's ever done that. Makes the highest opening non superhero movie release since the pandemic began. 
following Spider-Man No Way Home. So Sweet. Yeah, so Tom Cruise, you know, he's going to be 60. You want to feel old? I know. Yeah. That man does not age. It's no. freakish. He is. Yeah, it, it is freakish. And, and, you know, interestingly enough, right? So that movie, mm-hmm. Top Gun, came out in 1986 was the original. Yeah. Uh, that came out in 1986. And uh, kind of interesting. I, I like um, Jennifer Connelly, so I think she's in it. Uh, I'll, oh, I'll yeah. Get, I I'll, love her. Yeah. I love her as an actress. I yeah. do, too. I think she's she's uh, she's terrific. She was in um, A Beautiful Mind, wasn't she? With, uh, I she think She was the so. wife. And beautiful yeah. mind. Look at this. I, I, what do I know? Uh, sad news this past week. We lost Ray Liotta, 67 years old. Uh, you know, good so fellows. Uh, and, you know, it, it, he is from Union Township, New Jersey. And they're going to be naming a field on which the youth the athletes regularly play as a nod to the late actor's role in Field of Dreams. Oh, uh, yeah. She was Joe Jackson. Yep, that was it. She yeah. played that. So they're going to, uh, you know, name a field in Union township new jersey in his honor uh that was according to tmz but uh, just a sad thing 67 uh years old not not old and um you know he was great in goodfellas he was just in recently uh the soprano um movie the many saints of newark but uh kind of sad news there but yeah 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 well, I don't know uh, if you know this, but uh, you can you can have all the episodes of Lens Burning Bush. They are on lensburningbush.com now. So I have a website. So my website doesn't say under construction yet, so that's a good thing. Uh, but now lensburningbush.com, you can actually see all the episodes are on there, all 113 now, uh, 113 episodes, and you can uh, see all the video, which it, it, it attaches to the YouTube channel so you can see all the video you can see all this so if you're listening on apple itunes and spotify you could still do that but you can actually go to the web page and click listen as well so now you have the ability uh to do that so what you know it's uh craziness right but uh, i need to know though who recorded your theme song oh it is the band blue jelly listen <laughs> Yes. So Jim Beatenbender, uh, Steve Ferris, uh, all the rest of the crew, uh, you know, Phil on guitar, and and they do a a phenomenal job. Joe on the drums. They uh, they are uh, friends. Jimmy Jimmy Beatenbender and I we know each other for a long time. Uh, My wife Susan's uh, friends with his wife, and it became so. They've been playing locally in Northern Kentucky for a lot of years, and I had them on. An episode, and they actually played. Um, How can we sleep when lens bush is burning? <laughs> so they played that one, and I like that one too. But this one was a little bit more. They did this for the hundredth anniversary special, and they they recorded it for me. I, re- I recorded it and put it in my my board. And uh, if you're ever around in Northern Kentucky and you see Blue Jelly, look at them on like them on Facebook. They are they are a great band, but that's. Great question, and uh, Jim, Jim and the band will be very pleased that you asked that. But uh, yes, yes, I'm sending them a virtual fist bump. Oh, look at that! It, it is great. <laughs> I mean, Lens Bush, you know, it, it's burning for you. That's what it, what it comes down <laughs> to. But I, I couldn't do it justice by singing it any better than they are. But Melissa, thank you so much. Why don't you give uh, one more last plug for your book coming out, and uh, we will uh, part ways today. Yeah, sure. It's called Lamara by Melissa Landers. It releases. December 6th from Disney Hyperion, ages uh, 14 to a million. Wow. 
Love it. Well, you can like Lens Burning Bush on Facebook at Lens Burning Bush, and you're following on Twitter at Lens Burning Bush, and again on the website lensburningbush.com. Thanks to Melissa Landers, my band, Blue Jelly, for the great theme song. I'm Len Harvey. We'll be back with another episode of Lens Burning Bush next week. So long.